Good morning. Last Sunday, uh, there was just energy and buzz and excitement, and it was a fantastic week. And this Sunday is, is good, don't get me wrong, but I have sensed that a lot of people are just kind of tired. <laughs> some of you are doing great this weekend, and some of you kind of walked in dragging today. And maybe as we get started, you need a little bit of encouragement. And so what I want you to do uh, on the floor and up in the balcony, I want you to look at a person beside you, behind you, maybe say it to two or three people even, but, but go quickly. I want you to turn to somebody around you and say, Jesus loves you and I do too. Go ahead and do that. Doesn't that just make you feel better? Oh, we needed that, didn't we? Hey, let me ask you a question today. How many of you are ready to study God's Word together? Go ahead. All right. Uh, if you brought a Bible, we are in Romans chapter 8. All month long, we've been in this series in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to do just a little bit of review in a minute. But first, I want to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Now, some of you, uh, this is very profound. Some may agree with this statement. Maybe you do not, but I want you to just see what you think. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Or in other words, if we, if we were to turn that around, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Because what you think when you think about God shapes and influences everything else that you see in this world, how you see yourself, how you see other people. It's kind of like a pair of glasses. Now, some of you have perfect vision, and so you don't need glasses, you don't need contacts, you just got it going on. But I bet that at some point in your life, you have probably reached over and taken someone else's glasses who had a strong prescription and put them on just to see what it was like. Have you done that? How did that turn out? <laughs> that all of a sudden, while everything is clear, soon you put those glasses on and it becomes fuzzy and unclear and it, it's difficult to distinguish what's around you. But when you put on the right pair of glasses with the proper prescription, now the things that were fuzzy come in to focus and now things start to make sense. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it, it talks about how hard it is for us to see things clearly in this world. It says, for now we see in a mirror undirect, indirectly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then... I will know fully just as I am fully known. And it's kind of hard for us to understand this verse because we think of a mirror with a very clear reflection of reality. But they did not have mirrors like we have in modern times. In ancient times, the mirrors were often stones that had been finely polished or, or polished metal and so it looked kind of like this picture that you see here on the screen. You could see the images. You kind of knew what you were looking at. But all of the details were not perfectly clear to you. And folks, 
There are so many things in this world that we do not understand fully and that we cannot see clearly. But the Bible says that when we get to heaven and see Jesus face to face, all these questions that we have will come into clear focus. But what if, what if we had some windows of insight to see reality as it exists today? What if we could see into heaven and see who God is for real and what he is doing right now? Might that change how we see things in the world? You see, we, we get windows into the life of Jesus right? The Bible tells us about how Jesus, the creator of the universe, the son of God, the word became flesh. He put on skin and walked among us. We see the beauty of his teaching. We see the, the, the death of Christ who died for our sins and his resurrection power. And we get these windows of insight into what he did back then. But what if what if we could see into heaven what Jesus is doing right now? And that's what we're going to see in Romans chapter 8 today. Just a little bit uh, of review from the, the, the last few weeks, though, just really quickly before we get into today's passage of Scripture. We're in Romans chapter 8 this month. And in Romans 8, we saw in the first week of, ser of the series how Romans 8 is kind of the hinge point for the entire book especially verse 1. And then last, uh, in that first week of the series, we went through the entire chapter and kind of pulled out the outline to see how it all fit together. Then last week, we went and we, we took a deep dive into the first verse, Romans 8, verse 1. And we saw that it says this. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. Everybody together. Romans 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we looked at this word condemnation last week. And we saw that there is often confusion surrounding this word because it sounds very much like another Bible word. And even though these two Bible words sound very similar, they are in fact quite different. The words are conviction as opposed to condemnation. And we saw that one of these words is really good and the other word is really bad because one of these words comes from God and the other word is what comes from Satan. And so let, let's just look, look into the definition of these words, just a quick review from last week. Conviction is the good one because it comes from the Holy Spirit. And so conviction is a very specific awareness of sin. It's when God reveals something in my life that needs to change. And so when I receive that conviction in my life, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that there are things in my life that need to change, that I need to surrender to God, that it points us towards confession. We confess it. We then receive uh, forgiveness as we repent. Repent means to make a decision to turn around, to change things by the help and the power of God. Repentance, forgiveness comes through what Jesus Christ did on the cross 
so that we can be forgiven. He took the punishment for sin that we deserve. He took it upon himself so that we can be forgiven if we receive him. And then restoration is the result. We are restored. We are made new. We receive freedom in Christ. And that is why it is infused with hope because conviction is the first step towards getting right with God. It's a good thing. But then there is condemnation. And condemnation is from Satan. And it is a general feeling of doom in my life. That I'm a bad person and that things are never going to get better in my life. Things are never going to get better. It is hopeless. And that is why condemnation is infused with despair. And I think one of the main reasons that, that some Christians get stuck and remain in bondage in their life and never move forward to the freedom that God wants for them in their spirit is, is many times because we get stuck in condemnation. Even though we have been set free from God, if, by God, if we are, 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 are surrendered to Jesus, even though all the promises of God's word are true for us in our lives, what happens is we know the truth, but we start listening to the condemnation of Satan, and we become hopeless. We become filled with despair. We think, I'm a bad person, that's just who I am, and things will never get better in my life. And I said last week, I think this is one of the reasons that many people never become a Christian, never find salvation in Jesus, because for many people out there, they think that church is all about condemnation. They think that Jesus and Christians and the Bible are about condemnation, but that is a lie from the enemy who wants to keep people away from God. Because Jesus said, Jesus said in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is why Jesus came, to set us free from the condemnation of this world. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven and he rose again with victory over death and the grave. And listen, that is why as Christians, we are good news people in a bad news world. We are good news people in a bad news world. And the good news is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. And so let's go back to that definition again. And so how do we come through Jesus? It's this conviction that we feel from the Holy Spirit, this specific awareness of sin in our lives that leads us towards confession and repentance and forgiveness and ultimately restoration as we are made right with God. That's what it's all about. Now, okay, that's a, a bit of review from last week. This week, we're going to see that as you go on down through Romans 8, it just keeps getting better and better, and it, it ends with this big victory chorus. It, it's so good. And so we're going to today look a little bit uh, at the end of the chapter, starting in Romans 8, verse 34. Remember we said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we got a window into heaven to see where Jesus is 
and what he is doing right now. Because if we could understand where Jesus is right now and what he is doing right now, that could have the potential to change how we approach the situations in our lives in the world today. Here's the answer. Here's what Romans 8 verse 34 tells us. First of all, it it, it reminds us again of what it said in verse 1. It asks the question, who then can condemn us? No one, if we are in Jesus. No one. Because Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, that's where the power is in his resurrection. Where is he? He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's where Jesus is right now and what he is doing, he is interceding for you. Now what does it mean to intercede? I I like uh, how Mark Batterson breaks this verse down and compares this, this idea of intercession to a boxing match and having the right person in your corner. And the reason that I like that that idea is because some of you do not know that I had a glorious career in boxing. You're scared, aren't you? I can feel it in the room. You're like, Joel, stop messing around. I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I'm, I am absolutely serious. And here's, here's the story. Uh, I didn't say that I was the boxer, but I was in boxing. And so here's what happened. Uh, When uh, we pastored a church in Michigan for 12 years, there was a a, a boxer who gave his life to Jesus through the ministry of our church, and, uh, and he was an influencer in the boxing community, and so he started bringing his friends. He started bringing coaches and and like golden glove national American boxing champions. I mean like big time stuff. And so so all of a sudden, it was the coolest thing in church. We ended up with a whole row right up on the front row of boxers and coaches. I mean these big, huge, muscle-bound guys with tattoos and broken noses and scars and I fit right in. It was my crowd. And so... Uh, I've never felt more safe than those Sundays when I had all those bodyguards right up front. Nobody was getting to me. And so uh, what happened is one of these guys ended up in, a, in, in the, prof- the biggest professional boxing match of his life. His name is Komaji Harris. And Komaji Harris, this biggest boxing match of his life, let me give you the scale of it. Uh, the, it was at the Joe Louis Arena in downtown Detroit, Joe Louis Arena where the the Detroit Red Wings play NHL hockey. And so they invited me to come along. And so I said, sure enough. And so uh, I go with this entourage of boxers and coaches to downtown Detroit. We go out to supper and I have never felt more cool walking down the street. Let me tell you, I mean, here's me, little guy, big guys, and I, I mean, heavyweight, big guys, and we're talking boxing champions, you know, and uh, people are thinking, what is with that little dude? I felt like I was a mobster because I got my hitman all around me. And in Detroit, that's not far off. And, and so we go to supper before it's time to go into the arena to get set up. We, 
We go downtown, uh, you know, walking down the, the street from the arena to go find a restaurant to get something to eat. And uh, so while we're eating supper, they revealed that they wanted me to do something that night at the match. That they were missing on the team, somebody was not able to come, and they needed someone to serve as a second corner man. And in order to do so, you have to have a second slice with the license with the boxing commission in the state of Michigan. So I had to pay like $10 or $15. I got a little card that certified that I was now a professional boxing coach uh, with a second license in the state of Michigan. Uh, I, I should have kept that card. Nobody would believe it if I didn't uh, show you to this day. I, I'm telling you the truth. So they signed me up before the match, and they said, here's what we need you to do. The job of a second is to be a corner man, and we need somebody to work the stopwatch and hold the towels to mop up the sweat. That's what they thought I was good for. Uh, stopwatch and mopping up sweat. So I was the towel boy, and uh, this is not an environment where you often find a pastor, can I just tell you. We, we got on the, air, uh, the, the elevator uh, before the match, and uh, the doors open, and this guy gets on with this shiny, flashy, double-breasted suit, big square jaw, gold Rolex watch, his arms like this, two women on his arm, they're wearing like fishnet and mini skirts. I hope they did not pay much for their dresses because there was nothing to it. <laughs> if they paid more than 20 bucks for that material, they paid too much. And so uh, and, and he's got his hair slicked back and we get off of the elevator, we're walking down the hall and one of the guys in our group leans over to me and says, hey Joel, that guy that was on the elevator with us is one of the top mobsters in the Detroit Mafia. So again, this is my crowd, right? I fit right in. And so that was my glorious boxing debut. Here's the bad news. My guy, Komaji Harris, lost that night. But here is the good news. In the fight of your life, you have a corner man who is so much greater than me. Muhammad Ali had one of the greatest corner men who has ever lived. His name was Angelo Dundee. Angelo Dundee worked with Muhammad Ali for over 20 years. Angelo Dundee also coached 15 other world boxing champions. Angelo Dundee described his job like this. He said, as a corner man, when you're working with a fighter, you are a surgeon, an engineer, and a psychologist. And right now, you need to know that Jesus is in your corner. He is more than just your surgeon, engineer, or your psychologist. He is literally at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. And also, that's what uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, when it tells us to fight the good fight, we need to know that we do not fight on our own. That not only is Jesus interceding for us, we have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when we do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever had one of those times you're so tired, you're so frustrated, you're so exhausted, you don't even know what to pray for? In those times, 
the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Every day in ways that you don't even see or realize, the Holy Spirit is working on your behalf behind the scenes. He's in your corner. One of the most amazing uh, games in basketball history was the night that Michael Jordan scored by himself in that game 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the crowd is just in awe. I mean, it's one of the greatest games. 69 points he scored against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, afterwards at the, uh, at the press conference, later there was a reporter who asked Stacy King, who was with him on the team, what, what will you remember when you think of this night? Stacy King spent most of that night sitting on the bench. The coach did let him in the game for a few minutes, and when he got into the game, he did get fouled, made a free throw, and scored one point that night. Stacy King scored one point. And so he was asked afterwards by a reporter, for the rest of your life, how will you remember this epic game where Michael Jordan scored 69 points? And Stacy King said, yes. He said, I will always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> and folks, that is like Jesus and me. <laughs> because whatever power, whatever goodness, whatever wisdom you see in my life is 99% Jesus. And the 1% that is me is just me surrendering to Jesus. And then he is the one who is fighting for me. Back to Romans chapter 8. And so in verse 37, we find this amazing word that, that gives us insight into this kind of life that Jesus calls us to. Romans 8 verse 37 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Everybody say that together. Let's read it together. In all these things, we are, oh, come on, that did not sound like conquering language. Let's, let's read it the way that, it, that it's written. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, what does that mean when you read, I am more than a conqueror in Jesus? Remember that the New Testament was not written in English. The New Testament was written in, in Greek, exactly. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. So in the original text in Greek, this phrase, more than conquerors, is actually one word. It's a compound word, which means two pieces put together. The word is hypernikeo. You know what hyper means, right? Hyper means something that is over-exaggerated. And nikeo means conqueror. To be victorious. And so the translation of this is to be a super conqueror. For example, the worst game in college football history took place in October of 1916 when Georgia Tech beat Cumberland College by a score of 222 points to zero. <laughs> 222 
to zero. That's what it means to super conquer. And that word nikeo is where we get the word, guess what? It's where we get the word Nike. <laughs> it's the same, it comes from the same derivative. The Nike swish, did you know that actually, that swoosh, the Nike uh, word, that comes from the Bible. It's saying that Jesus is so strong that there is nothing that can defeat you. That's why Romans 8 finishes with this promise. In verse 31 on down to 39, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here's what I want you to do. Listen, whenever you face a problem, whenever Satan tries to come against you and whenever Satan seeks to condemn you, whenever people are coming against you and complaining and cutting you down and criticizing, whenever you're having hardship, whenever you're facing difficulty, whatever it is that comes against you, I want you to think of this verse and I want you to think about it like this. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> if God is for us, who can be against us? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> you see, your perspective changes things. And when you look at your situation, Rather than from a position of defeat, when you look at it from a position of victory, all of a sudden things begin to move and change as you begin to see that God is for you and not against you, that he is working on your behalf. And so I have an assignment for you this week. This week, I want you to spend some time in God's word, being reshaped in your mind, renewed and transformed in your thinking, to move your position from defeat to a mindset of victory. If you go to openbible.info, under topics, you will find who am I in Christ. In fact, uh, what I've done this morning is I went on Twitter and Facebook, and I put on my social media, uh, I put, 
the link to this list of scripture. And so if you want to go and find Joel Gorvet, G-O-R-V, Joel Gorvet on, uh, on Facebook or Twitter, I have a link there for you. And I, I just posted it this morning, and on Twitter, it's still on each of them. It's at the top of the list. And if you will go to that link and open up on openbible.info, what it has is all of these amazing verses of Scripture that speak to your identity to help shift your mindset, to see what God says of you and what he is doing in the heavenlies and here in your midst in unseen ways. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. And so if you're here today and you have never accepted Christ, if you've never received his forgiveness, would you just all around this room, could we close our eyes? And I just want to talk with you for a second. Remember when we talked about conviction? It's when God reveals that you need him. And so you confess and you repent and you receive his forgiveness and you're restored. If you want to do that today, just right now in your heart, say, Father, I need you. And I thank you that Jesus died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. And I receive that gift today. I give my life to you. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. In you, I need a brand new start, a new beginning. And so today, from this point forward, I walk, I live, I breathe as a child of God. Because the love of Jesus changes everything. His love changes everything.